cliffcentral.com Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. Cliffcentral.com. Finally made it to the week where Super Rugby begins. Yep. If you're a rugby fan and the Six Nations doesn't cut it for you or any of the Northern Hemisphere stuff, don't worry. The Southern Hemisphere Rugby begins all of this week. Finally, finally, finally. celebrate that this is an Australian band in the background Empire of the Sun although I'm sure you're not looking forward to the Australian group itself so um, yeah FA Cup over the weekend eh? how about that there was a lot of interesting stuff on that loads of highs and lows if you were well a Burnley fan I guess it's a bit of a low if you're a Leicester fan it's a whole new low but if you're a Millwall or a Lincoln City fan Boom, next round of the FA Cup. That's really, really great. There was PSL action too. There was Sundowns basically just being Sundowns again and being great and winning another trophy. There was some amazing golf action. The protests were doing very, very well in the cricket. So we've got a nice wrap-up for you this week um, here on The Bounce Show with me, Ben Kopinski. If you're first time listening, thank you very much. Hello, welcome to it every Monday here on cliffcentral.com. Yeah, it's a show for you, for everyone, for me. We'll just talk sports. And if you want to get involved live, if you are listening live, just chat to me on Twitter at Follow the Bounce. Uh, whatever messages, whatever have, whatever talking points you want to raise, I'll be sure to address them there. Um, if you are listening through Potential on the app, there you can just message there. Um, sorry, if you go into the WeChat official. There's also that option there, the Cliff Central account. Um, the studio WhatsApp number. Yeah, I tell you, we like so connected nowadays. Studio WhatsApp number 079-784-2090 if you are listening live. If you're listening on podcasts, well, good for you. Podcasts is the way forward. Very good way to get it because you can just, you know, take it whenever you want. Press stop, pause, rewind, play again, share, do whatever you need to do. It is the Bounce Show. It is the end of February. It is Super Rugby Weekend coming up. You actually see the music video to this. is trippy as all hell. I think these guys often went to Thailand, did mushrooms, came back, and then made music in Australia. If you've never taken mushrooms, then I suggest watching this music video. You get a very good understanding of what it is. Right. Well, let's stop cocking around then. Let's get into the sports. Jeeps, I got lots of it. So last week, I told you that the Arsenal fan TV guys were having a chat with Gary Neville. That big uh, showdown, as they called it. They pitched it as this amazing showdown. Well, it's bloody long. i tell you this much. These guys, <laughs> it should really be edited. I mean, I know that they're trying to have this big candid chat and give their fans the whole inside spiel, but it's like 40 minutes long. So I'll just play you a little exit of that um later on in the show but as like everything if when you go onto the bounce.ca you can get the entire bounce show from top to bottom so you get the whole podcast you get all the different clips that i play for you and uh, everything else that i think is necessary but let's just get into the headlines from the weekend and just recap on the results uh there was psl action over the weekend you know there's still no um ban on pirates there's still no sanction coming in there you haven't heard anything um i still have nothing to update you on that so it's, um, we'll wait and see. Uh, I, I doubt anything's going to happen. But they managed to sort of steady the ship a little bit against Cape Town City, who are, were top of the log. So they drew 2-2 with Cape Town City away in Cape Town. Plymouth Celtic, they beat Chippewa United 2-0. Chiefs with another win there. They beat Highlands Park, lowly Highlands Park. Still there. It's three important points. That's all that counts right now for Chiefs. 
Polokwane City drew with Ice Cape Town 1-1, and then Golden Arrows, they went down to Free State Stars. So right now in the PSL, Chiefs are on top by one. They've played a few more games than their closest rivals, who are all in action midweek. But it's a good thing for Chiefs. While Pirates are floundering, maybe, just maybe, um, in, in, I think it's next week sometime, that these two play another one of their boring whole terrible soulless derbies and maybe Chiefs can actually take some momentum into this one and get a result of substance but speaking of results of substance this FA Cup now every year you know, it's, it's great because it's got the potential for amazing stories it's got the potentials for the whole romantic view of small town team taking on big city rivals and that kind of stuff well, we haven't had too many massive shocks over the last uh, couple of years. I mean, it's it's nice to think that they can go all the way, but, you know, the game's getting more and more professional. But there's a real breath of fresh air coming in with a couple of teams this year. And, um, well, one such team was who, a big favorite of mine. They keep going from, well, good to better to just pretty incredible, as they showed over the weekend versus Burnley. It's been that sort of afternoon for Burnley. Reed continues to tussle, this time with uh, Ashley Barnes in the centre here. So late in the day as the ball comes back in, and Rackett's on the end of it! And they're claiming it's gone over the line, and the referee's given the goal! Unbelievable! In the 89th minute of the match! At this stage, you're thinking, like, this is a real win for Lincoln if they can just get the replay and go play at home. But then they took on, they kept pushing... Chance the goal and right at the death there. Uh, Burnley, well, sixes and sevens in defence, mostly because Joey Barton's still in that team. And uh, the ball went over the line. The keeper tried hard to parry it back, but it was over the line. They're clear to see. And five minutes extra injury time, and it was, um, well, it was rather tedious towards the end. They Burnley tried, they tried, they kept peppering the goals. And it, everyone was just shouting at the ref like, dude, it's been five minutes. Blow the bloody whistle. This is obviously the biggest moment in Lincoln City ever since they built the cathedral, essentially. This is about as, as big as it's gotten. And they are almost there. Final look at the watch. There's the final whistle. The magic of the cup lives on. An extraordinary story. And Lincoln City of the National League have beaten Premier League Burnley. Every single one of their fans got absolutely rat ass after that. I'm sure there's some pretty solid hangovers right now in Lincoln for all of those few thousands of fans. Uh, another big one from the weekend was, well, you got to think Leicester, you know, I know they're going from bad to worse, but losing to Millwall, well, after 90 minutes, it was dead, deadlocked at 0-0, zero, zero, and it was just, well, you know, they can take it back home, they can win the replay, well. On the Eddie Man. Gregory. Oh, it's Sean Cummings. Can he finish it? He can! Unbelievable! It's the Millwall right back with 10 seconds of the 90 to play. And he stroked it home with such composure. And surely Millwall are through to the FA Cup quarterfinal. Extraordinary. Your team are down to 10 men. What is the right back Cummings doing in the box with a minute to go? Serving Millwall, they've been absolutely outstanding in this second half. They've given absolutely everything with 10 men, and what a wonderful goal it was! Played in to Lee Gregory, lovely reverse pass, and when he gets it, he's so cool and calm. That extra touch, and then he just passes it into the back of the net. I totally forgot about that. Millwall being the fighters that they are, they were down to 10 men. And they just thought, screw it, just push for the win. That is amazing that they got that right. So 1-0 and Leicester go down. That's something, another thing they're out of. So, well, we'll get to what they're still in a little bit later in the show. So Millwall through, Lincoln through, Oxford City, well, they definitely tried their hardest to also go through as um, sort of like the more underdog teams. They, they took Middlesbrough all the way. Middlesbrough scoring also at the end there. So they won that one 3-2 of Oxford City. Oxford, sorry, Oxford United. Um, Huddersfield Town, ever heard of these guys? I don't know. <laughs> it was quite funny watching from there because Man City went to Huddersfield Town. And if you can try catch highlights of that match, of which there are very, very few, it's like it's like one of those high school rugby fields in the Cape after it's had a good run over after lots of rain. It was just, it looked horrible. Like there was indentations where the lines are. It just looked rough as all hell. And uh, that was pretty much Man City's performance too. Pretty rough. So 0-0, the replay will go back to... Um, 
the Man City. Wolves, they weren't good enough. Chelsea beat them pretty easily 2-0. Same with Fulham and Spurs. Harry Kane with a hat-trick there. So 3-0 there for Spurs. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he just keeps scoring goals. So Man United beat Blackburn, which then leads us to tonight. Sutton versus Arsenal. And it'll be 5-10 to South African time. Uh, well, Arsenal, they can't really win much, but you got to think. Against Sutton? Yeah, obviously. Uh, there was a really funny video going around on bbcsport.com uh, today where they were showing you what the Arsenal players are going to look forward to dressing room-wise. These guys are literally walking into like what looks like a, a high school change room. And it's tiny. It's so tiny. And, uh, you know, this is the, the old wooden slat benches and uh, probably about three or four showers that they're all going to have to share afterwards. Very interesting stuff this FA Cup. So... The quarterfinal draw has already taken place, even though this game is still to take place. So what we're looking at is Chelsea versus Man United. That's the big, big draw card for the quarterfinals. Middlesbrough will take on the winner of Huddersfield versus Man City. Spurs will take on Millwall. And then Arsenal, somebody was speculating because uh, it's the Emirates FA Cup and it's Emirates Arsenal. They get a bit of a... Bit of a bit of a good run here. Well, firstly, they've they've got a home match for the quarterfinals if they were to win tonight against Sutton. It's always important to say if they were to win when talking about Arsenal. And they will take on, um, well, so if they beat Sutton, they'll take on Lincoln. So they've got a pretty easy run, you would think, on paper to the semifinals here. That's your FA Cup. Bloody interesting tournament, this. I, I do enjoy watching it, mostly because, well, I like the stories. You know me, I'm a, I, I love stories. I'll go on forever around sporting stories, and this is just one of them. Speaking of another good story, that is uh, the Proteas. So the Proteas managed to do something quite special over the weekend. Um, well, let's, let's start with, with the T20 match. Not a lot of significance here, but there was something pretty cool. You know, this last week, Imran Tahir um, was officially confirmed as the greatest limited overs bowler in the entire world. All of 37 years old, and there he is, just still you know sticking with the best of them. This guy, as we all know, has had a long, long career where he's played... Well, pretty much everywhere. He's played a lot of county cricket in England. He's obviously grew up in Pakistan. Uh, he then became a South African and he played a lot of cricket there and he's played, he's just, he's been all over the place. And at 37, he's finally at the top of the pile as the world's best limited overs uh, bowler. And, um, well, they definitely knew about him straight away in New Zealand over the weekend in the first T20, the one and only T20, which South Africa won handsomely. Showing that ability tonight, unfortunately. Absolutely outstanding from the South African leg spinner. Put on a display tonight. His team put a good score on the board. And he, along with Chris Morris, have picked up all 10 New Zealand wickets. Five for 24 from 3.5 overs. Well, I haven't enjoyed a New Zealand loss like I have tonight, ever. And it's because of that man there. He is so good to watch. He is so good with the ball. Five wickets in a T20 match. That's that's outrageous. I mean, I, obviously it's comparable to a batsman scoring 100. But that really is just quite something. And Imran Tahir just keeps creating these big highlights. And he just keeps showing what an incredible player he is. To think that his average is, I think, like 16 or 15 or something around, something stupid like that in, in T20 cricket. And his economy rate is fantastic. He just has been such a tower of strength. So yeah, the Proteas, they play their first T20 at uh, Eden Park, where they'll be rugby on pretty soon. And um, yeah, they scored 185 for six and bowled New Zealand for 107. So a 78 run win in T20 cricket is absolutely huge. But then we're on to the big stuff. So the ODI series, there's going to be five ODIs. The first one took place on Sunday. And uh, sadly, there's just loads of rain around, which is always the case in New Zealand. So a 50-over match became a 34-over side match. And, well, the Proteas were doing so bloody well. Uh, Morris, again, so, so fantastic with the ball. But then they kind of let things slip towards the end, and New Zealand somehow managed to get to 207 for 7. The pitch was turning square. It was very, very difficult to bat on, but the Proteas batsmen with uh, Quinton de Kock getting a well-played 69, they rattled it on quite quickly, and then there was a bit of a collapse. Uh, Amla dropped first. Um, 5-2-C didn't really look that, that, that well suited to the conditions. He fell, and then de Kock fell, and then Berdine and Dumni um, combined for one whole run. So it was down to AB de Villas and essentially the, the, the lower, the lower half, the, the tail. Uh, Morris scored some runs, but then Andila Petlaquayo, who I must remind you, um, I know I spoke about this this morning on the Gareth Cliff show when I did my Monday sport recap. 
the dude is 20 years old. Absolutely, just absolutely incredible. The the prospect that South Africa has that you think he's 20, Lungi Ngidi's 20, Kogiso um, Obado is 21. The talent that this coming through in this country is just amazing. So even though Petlaquire wasn't the top scorer, he didn't, I mean, he hasn't even scored a 50 yet in ODI cricket. But we saw it when he batted with David Miller against the Aussies, where the top had basically collapsed and they needed someone with a cool head to kind of just, you know, play with a senior partner and get them through. If you saw the highlights, the ball was just turning. So, so much so, Tom, um, Tim Sardi was running in as an off spinner, okay, but he was like ripping it about two stumps width. And he was burning all kinds of cutters, and it was just difficult to get the ball away. So the run rate was up to 7-8, so it's not like they had to just sort of last it out and rotate the strike. They still had to hit boundaries. And Pat Laquire, with Abe de Villas on the other side, um, obviously does give you quite a bit of confidence. But the way the guy thought about his innings is just something to really behold. He's 20 years old. Again, I, just, I can't say that enough. We always forget it because when a guy gets picked and he stays picked, you think, oh, well, he just, you know, it's going to be there and he's going to be in the team. He has to perform. But mentally, at the age of 20, what you can combine when you get your talents and you got all these nerves and you got all these expectations, very, very difficult. So he stuck around and between him and AB, they got down to the last over where they needed 12. And uh, it wasn't looking great. A doppel straight up and then Petlaquai hit a six. Uh, massive stones, that, that kid. And uh, they went on to win it with a ball in hand. So that was a four-wicket win for the Proteas. They go 1-0 up, and with that, they now tie their best ever ODI run um, so, of, of victories. So they've done it twice now. So they're currently on 12. Uh, they did it previously in 2005. They had the best the best ODI run of 12 consecutive wins. This one started against uh, Ireland back in Benoni uh, in 2016. So they won that one. And then they obviously they thrashed Australia 5-0. They thrashed Sri Lanka 5-0. And now with a win against New Zealand, that is 12 matches. So one more. And they get their best ever um, consecutive run streak. So that'll be Wednesday, uh, the 22nd of February. They'll take place from midnight. So there'll be a daytime game. But if you want to see who um, the top of the pile is there, if you're wondering where are South Africa for the world record, seeing if they've been so great the last sort of six months, well, they've got a bloody long way to go here. 2003, the Australian team, the beautiful Australian team from the turn of the century, they combined for 21 consecutive one day international victories. Um, yeah, outstanding. It, it really was. When the Aussies were good at cricket, which I know uh, you got to jog your memory to actually realize when that was, but when the Aussies were good, they were unstoppable. They were the best thing. They were like better than the All Blacks in rugby. That They were that good. Um, yeah, so that was from the cricket side of the weekend. Um, other cricket going on over the weekend, Sri Lanka played Australia in the T20 uh, series, and the, the Sri Lankans won both of them. Uh, Friday and Sunday, they won those matches. Uh, similarly dominant are Afghanistan. They beat Zimbabwe in two matches over the weekend, so they got a five, five, ten, sorry, five one-day international series against Zimbabwe in Zimbabwe. And it's really great to see that Afghanistan are getting tours. I mean, I know Zimbabwe isn't really like a high-profile tour. I remember India, you know, they barely send a team there out of a token gesture. But Afghanistan, these are all just great progress. You know, it's great progress towards the goal of just becoming a more competent and competitive team. Another great thing, not that I cover too much of the IPL, and I don't think you care too much about it either, is that two Afghanistan players have been picked up in the IPL auction today. So, again, it's, these are all great steps. When you go from basically throwing rocks around to the Taliban telling you you can't ever have fun, to now being in the IPL, beating teams internationally overseas, playing in ICC tournaments, this is all, this is a success of sport. And this is why um, it, it is such a wonderful thing. And to see pro- progress and these guys just getting, you know, through an evolution process of becoming world beaters. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. It makes me very, very happy. So the final one of the headlines before we get into our features today, we're going to talk Super Rugby, we're going to talk Arsenal Fan TV, and we're going to talk Dustin Johnson. Because Dustin Johnson is now the world number one in golf. Uh, he won the Genesis Open from Riviera Country Club. It was mostly rain hit. Um, the, there seems to be the end of the drought in the California region. They're now just being completely showered in rain. So loads of rain. And Dustin Johnson, who I think he won by five in the end, we all know this guy's good, right? I mean, he's really, really good. And uh, with that win, he takes over from Jason Day. And, uh, yeah, we'll get more into that towards the latter part of the show. But seeing as it is super rugby, we need to get into that. Uh, we need to talk about all the things we look forward to this weekend. Super rugby starts on Thursday, right? So it'll be the first match. I think it is um, – shit, I've got to tell you who's playing first. 
I know, it's an Aussie team. Um, Thursday. Rebels. The Rebels are taking on the Blues. That's the first game of the, of the weekend. Oh, sorry, I just I totally forgot. Um, shut the golf. It was so good over the weekend. Now, I, I mentioned it last week that there's this new format being, being trialed in the European tour. Uh, the Aussies have done it before, uh, a couple of years back. They had this whole stroke play into match play thing. So the ISPS Handa World Super 6 took place in Perth, um, with loads of kangaroos and everything else you expect to see in Perth. And, uh, Mark Rumford won that. So it was, it was bloody exciting. I, I, I was Saturday morning. Okay. There I was having breakfast and I was watching golf, but it was like a different kind of golf because normally the third round is okay. It's moving day. You get, you know, groups and for your last round and then you play ahead. But there was now playoffs for, to get into the top 24. So your top eight guys are going to be your seeded players going to the match play. And then people are literally playing for positions. So it got to a position where there was eight guys going out in the playoff to play the 18th hole again. But there were only five spots to get into the match play. So you think, okay, everyone's got a gun for birdie and, uh, you gotta try and make it like that. Um, and this young dude, uh, Pajaro Kangwat Mai from Thailand, 17 years old, okay, he goes off first, snaps it way into the trees left. Um, he courageously gets it back on the fairway, uh, gets up there, makes a bogey. And this kid is all smiles and you're thinking, okay, well, he's screwed. It turns out bogey got you into another playoff, okay, so a couple of guys made pars, all the guys made pars, and there was four of them. They all went through. So there's still three places to be playing for, right? So there's still four guys. And then there's like this playoff on a playoff. And uh come what my um and then a few other guys there, they made it through, but for making a par. So it's a very, very interesting dynamic, and then it went into the playoff, but the uh sorry, the, the match play. The cool thing about the match play was it was only six holes. So it wasn't one of those drawn out eighteen holers or thirty-six holers. So there was all kinds of action. And then if your six holes was tied, you then went into the separate playoff hole which they created on the eighteenth green, where it was all sixty-six meters and the pin was in a place where there was a, like a, a bit of a a backboard uh, behind it uh, on a slope on the green. So you basically hit it about four feet by and then spin it back. There weren't any hollow ones, but guys were sticking it to a couple of inches. And it was just, it was so refreshing to see there were so many different checkpoints in this golf tournament, so many different places where fans can get really excited. So it got down to um, the last guy I got in, that's, um, that's, uh, Thai guy, um, Kamwat Mai, he, t- he took on Mark Rumford, who was basically, he was out from the front. He was the leader in the clubhouse, um, he leading the stroke play, and he went through the match play without too many problems. And the two of them had a six, a six hole final, and, um, beautiful. Just absolutely well, beautifully well done. Well done, European tour. It'd be a great thing to see kind of come to South Africa. It'd be a great thing to see, um, all over. I mean, I still believe that one of the, one of the majors for the year should have a match play component. So USPGA, um, the PGA championship, it used to be back in the day. Maybe this is the compromise here. We get the, you can make it, make it just two, two rounds of stroke play, right? And then, um, you, you whittle it down from there. I reckon this is a way forward. Stroke play, match play, match play is an amazing thing. We all know from the Ryder Cup and it's hugely exciting from that perspective. So get that together and, um, you know, Golf's a, golf's a great game. You know, to, uh, you know, I'm very much on, on, on that song sheet. So if they can make any, even more innovations, they're going to make even better. So be it. Uh, Paul Laurie, he won the Dimension Data Program at Fancourts. Um, and that was from the local side. Of course, this week is the Joburg Open at Royal Johannesburg and Kensington, but I'll bring you more of that through the week. So those are done with the headlines. Sorry, I totally forgot about the golf headlines. We're going to come back with, um, some football. We're going to come back with the chat that Arsenal Fan TV had with Gary Neville. And then we're going to talk Super Rugby. And then we're going to talk about the rest of the week. But before we get to that, I watched this really great movie last week. Um, as you know, I'm a huge Usain Bolt fan. He's the greatest athlete in sport. The greatest athlete ever. Um, no man's ever run faster than him. Ever. Ever. Um, that's pretty much the coolest stat you can ever have as a sports star. So basically, since men started walking on their hind legs no one's gone faster than this dude and there's this really great uh, sort of documentary style movie that's out I uh, came out um, in the last year I am Bolt so I'm going to leave you with that while I prepare myself to reveal some of the insights from Arsenal Fan TV's chat with uh, Gary Neville he is the biggest superstar that this sport has ever had he's dominated he's won everything there is to win on his height, they said he shouldn't be running so fast. For where he's from, they're saying he shouldn't be who he is. Don't know why I'm up this early. Life of a champion, right? <laughs> Full box. 
he wouldn't sit down, he would be always climbing. Then <laughs> I let him go, he was just all over the place running around. I really enjoy training. <laughs> and let me tell that back. <laughs> I'm a type of person I get nervous before my first race. When he gets to the championship, he's just a different animal. He gets this dormant quietness. I have doubts. I'm not motivated. But then everything changed. He's gonna beat me? <laughs> Hell no. Everyone loves him. He goes beyond boundaries of race, religion. A man like him is not born very often. These old questions just make people smile. <laughs> I want to be remembered among the great athletes in the world. He's a shining example of the best that we can be. It's wow! You, you got to watch it. Iron Bolt. That guy's story is just so incredible. It's like it's inspiring. It's entertaining. It's just it's so many things in sport that no one career has ever managed to put together completely. So everyone's got bits of greatness, right? That guy is just absolute greatness, and it's it's so great to see how everything is so candid in this in this movie in this documentary. How it documents just how difficult things have been through injuries, through dealing with the public, um, through people just talking shit about you, even though you've never said a bad word about them ever and you know we're never going to see another athlete like this we're never going to see another sports star like this so it's definitely something to get into right which then gets us on to last week i spoke about um big robbie and the rest of the boys at arsenal fan tv and um look a lot of the stuff kind of gets monotonous with arsenal fan tv it's all about uh you know venga must go these guys are shits uh they're not buying the right players blah 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 blah. and sure like all fan chat gets quite monotonous because sports quite basic that's probably why it's so easy to follow right so the whole chat the whole narrative around arsenal is that um you know, it's a team that should have kicked on by now. Uh, it's a team that when they moved to that big Emirates Stadium, there was going to be more money coming in. They signed some pretty big uh, deals, you know, that massive deal with Puma on the kit. There was a lot of factors that would have said, okay, right, now Arsenal are going to be on the level of Bayern Munich. They're going to be pushing towards the level of uh, Barcelona. This is all going to happen. But year after year after year, they're essentially just the fourth best team in England and they're quarterfinals in the Champions League. So for some people are saying, that's fine. So anyway, that's that's better than not being fourth place. That's better than not being in the Champions League. But a lot of the fans who've been going forever and ever, they're saying enough is enough. This is bullshit. We need to break this mold because only getting better is not getting any worse. Austin Wenger has plateaued. You know the story, okay? So what really brought this to a head is that people are getting really angry. And Arsenal Fan TV captures what's going on in people's minds, okay? That's the whole thing. Many Arsenal fans hate this. They, they seriously hate these dudes. But... It's an honest snapshot. It might be an honest snapshot of, of certain fans who might not represent the full idea of what the club's about. But a lot of the times you can't argue with these guys. They're making really good, um, really good assumptions, uh, observations. There's good insights. One of the best is a guy called DT. Now, DT's got his own blog. I wouldn't recommend you go watch his. He's not the greatest person on camera. But... He's pretty cutting, okay? Now, this guy loves Arsenal more than any of us could ever love a, a sporting team. So here he is with Gary Neville, who said, basically, these fans are idiots. Uh, secondly, he said that this Arsenal fan TV thing is a bit of a joke and it's very negative. So uh, if you watch the whole interview, which is 36 minutes, you can get the full thing. But what I'm going to bring up to you now is that, basically, Gary Neville says that all these guys who come out and have these signs saying Wenger, Wenger out are an absolute disgrace. And DT is a guy who had a massive sign saying Venga out. So here's just a little interplay between the two of them. It's a few minutes, so, so bear with it. But I think it's, it kind of sums up what the interview is about. And afterwards, you can obviously go on to the Bounce of today and listen to the whole thing. Frustrated. A- absolutely. But on that point. So it starts off with Gary basically um, supporting his position that these guys should probably not criticize so much. And uh, obviously the whole point of this conversation was that the fans' voice is important and should be heard. 
Where, where have I said, and I, I called a fan an idiot who had a banner up and was abusing Arsene Wenger, but where have I ever said that a fan can't say what he wants about a team? But I can still think they're an idiot if they say it. Mm. There's, two different, there's two different things. One is saying what you want to do, throwing banners out at a game. There are lots of good banners, protests against owners, protests against chairman, protests against players. No problem. No, no one's saying you can't bring a banner into the ground. But imagine going into your office the day before to print off a banner against a guy who's been the most successful manager mm. of all time, who has achieved so much at the club. Does he deserve that? I don't think mm. he does. Does he deserve abuse? I don't think he does. And I think really it's a lack of, a, you know, not, it's respect really. He's, mm. he's just a guy, he's a, he's a giant of the game. If, if he retired tomorrow, or if something happened to him, there'd probably be millions of people lining the streets with, with Arsene Wenger, with what he's achieved. And if you look at the other clubs actually, who he's currently below him in the league, they've spent more money, and they don't get the same level of abuse. So, mm. I, think, I think banners, yeah, you can put banners mm. into stadiums against owners, chairmen, players, however, the idea that you put it against a guy who served the club for 20 years. <laughs> On the banners thing, right? I've, I've, got, uh, I've got a fan here. Right, so I'm going to hand the mic to, to, to DT because uh, DT quite famously did bring quite a big banner 12 into foot. a 12 foot banner into the ground um, to protest um, against Arsene Wenger. Not something that I agree with, but. It's his opinion, and I'll make him just explain to you why. Why do you not protest against the board? So just one question. I'm going to ask you this question, right? Why do you not protest against the board who have, in their jurisdiction and their control, to, to do what Arsene Wenger does? Why do you protest against the manager? He's doing. He's done his best, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I just say, I have protested against the board as well. Mm -hmm. um, I also pulled out a banner which said "Love Arsenal, Hate Cronkay," um, based on his acceptance to accept just top four us as fans have had enough of that now we believe we've gone past a period of moving into the stadium and um, you know where we accepted that we accepted that Arsene Wenger was doing a great job in that initial period to do what he did was amazing but we've come to that point now where we can spend the money we've got top draw world class players in certain positions but yet we're failing year in, year out, and there's no difference to our team in terms of failure when we had Shamak up front or Alexi Sanchez up front. The same problems and the same failings are rearing their head at the same points of the season every single year. I go to every single game, um, and I said this on Arsenal Fan TV when we beat Hull, since Arsenal last won the title, I've spent about £70,000 following Arsenal. That's a week's wages to Matt Debucci. And you wonder why fans are getting frustrated. I took exception to you calling the fan an idiot because I raised a banner. The reason why I raised a banner was because nobody listens to us. We've tried going to the board. We've tried going to the club. Um, and what we get in response are generic letters. Um, thank you for your continued support. Um, you know, we're doing everything we can. The same old rubbish. You don't get any real answers from the club. <coughs> so we felt... The only way we could get an answer and the way we could express our opinion is by raising a banner. People don't agree with it. That's absolutely fine. As we said, this is about opinion. Yeah. A lot of um, fans don't agree with it, do they? No, <laughs> fans don't. A lot of fans don't and a lot of fans do. Um, it's very much split down the middle in terms. No one will know an exact figure. Um, but I, like I said, that is how we had to get our opinions across. Because the clubs don't listen to us anymore. Back in the day... Um, Arsenal fans had a problem with Terry Neal when he was manager um, and they called a meeting with the club and the club organised a meeting with a group of fans at Islington Town Hall and my dad was one of those fans now people might say it runs in the blood <laughs> you know he's passed it down but what you had then was fans and, and owners that were on the same page and they could relate to each other and they could talk to each other if there was a problem within two weeks Terry Neal was sacked the problem we have now is that as fans, if we have a problem, nobody listens to us. We're treated as customers rather than fans. People say to me, stop going. I can't do it. I've been going since 1986. 31st year I've been going to watch Arsenal. It runs through a history of my family. It's not easy to just stop. I put my life, my soul, everything into Arsenal Football Club. And I felt... The only way that I could get my views across about the manager was by raising a banner. I wasn't disrespectful, 
there are people that do cross a line and I do not agree with that at all but I felt that my banner was respectful it you know the the banner we raised was the arson thanks for the memories but it's time to say goodbye I don't see there's any disrespect in that message whatsoever and that banner has been out since 2011 and when it was first brought out at Brighton fans were attacked assaulted spat at then it was brought out at West Brom when we won 1-0 by your own um, fans you mean by our own fans yes um, and then as it's gone on fans have started to get more on board and starting to say you know what maybe they've got a point um, because it is year after year after year um, but we still get verbal abuse I've had my son nearly assaulted um, at Man City away last year because we were trying to pull out the banner we don't have any exceptions to people that are pro-Vengar there's a banner inside the Emirates that says in Arsenal we trust to me that's offensive to me because I don't agree with it but that's that fan's opinion and they've got a right to voice that opinion and that's why I took exception to you calling the fan an idiot I've got no problem with you having an opinion absolutely fine I just felt that you went from having an opinion to being abusive to someone without knowing their true story idiot idiot where I come from is not abusive <laughs> like, like I said like, like I said I mean, you could have like I said you could have said you don't agree with a guy you don't agree no I didn't agree with the yeah, guy yeah and to I just, you, look you made a, a very considered articulate statement about a problem in football that's wider than to be fair just Arsene Wenger or um, Arsenal Football Club yeah in terms of and I'm going to leave it there because that's a really good point the, the football problems here are all wider than obviously Arsenal so it's quite tricky as a fan because you want to be heard and this is another reason why I'm, I'm playing this for you today is that every fan has a gripe, right? Every fan has an issue. Every fan feels they're hard done by about something. Whether you are a Western Province rugby fan or you are a, I don't know, KZN Dolphins cricket fan or you are a Leicester fan right now. I mean, everyone's got a sort of little gripe, but everyone's got one, right? Everyone, it's like an asshole. Everyone has got one. So how this is going to go, it's interesting to see in future if more people like Gary Neville will sit down and chat with these guys because it's all about perspective, right? Now, what DT was saying there about the guy can have a right to have this banner or that banner, whatever. The only way we ever get anywhere as humans, if we take all the opinions that we don't have already, okay, so these guys think Arson's shit. Cool, that's great. But you're never going to go anywhere if you only surround yourself with people who agree with you and you're going to create like a sound chamber, an echo chamber of nothing other than what you like. So by bringing people who have different perspectives, you can gain so much. And I, I really applaud Gary Neville's efforts here. He looks bored as hell in a lot of these questions, I've got to say. But at least he's getting involved. So I like to think that this is a start of more interactions because fans have got a bigger voice nowadays, right? That's what social media has done. That's what blogs have done. That's what podcasts have done. That's what, well, YouTube, whatever. So... It's kind of cool that that's happened, but also it's, it gets a bit monotonous if it's only going to be negative, it's only going to be bitching, because that creates a culture where everyone just has a moan the whole time. Totally, totally justifiable. I mean, Springbok fans, you know, <laughs> I don't need to sell you on that point, but there's got to be more to it, you know, and I think we've all become a bit more informed towards these things, then it can only mean better and more prosperous things. Um, yeah, so that's that. Like I said, the full interview will be on the site. Uh, we now need to get into Super Rugby because this Thursday sees the start of Super Rugby 2017. So I know everyone says it's too long, it's all drawn out, all that kind of stuff, and a lot of negativity going into the Super Rugby campaign. But we've got to look past that because this is the week where we can get into the weekend and rather than saying, oh, what's on this weekend? Well, we know there's a whole shit ton of rugby. There's Super Rugby in every single corner. So Thursday, uh, 10.45 South African time, you see the first match, Rebels versus the Blues. Probably not going to watch that. But hey, after that, this weekend, wow, we've got the Stormers versus the Bulls. That's the big one. I'm going to be down in Cape Town for that. Massively excited to attend this match purely because, well, it is the traditional North-South derby, which still has some merit in there. And uh, there's some, it's a pretty star-studded team on both sides, you look on paper. So if you were to look at just past uh, this weekend, of course, what's happening in Super Rugby this year, uh, what are the chances of a South African team doing doing well, kind of getting there, kind of maybe going one better than where the Lions were, if the Lions can maintain. Well, key thing is here, who is playing who? Whom is playing whom, if you wish? So, last year, Stormers didn't play a single New Zealand team, right? They stuttered their way through a campaign with some pretty lackluster performances. They made their way into the playoffs. They played a New Zealand team. They got absolutely thrashed. Chiefs just absolutely dicked them. It wasn't pretty. It was almost insulting that the Chiefs had to come all that way just to beat a very much 
placid team. So the Bulls and the Stormers and the Cheetahs, right? They're all in the same kind of log group, call it what you want, conference. So this year, they play against all the New Zealand teams. Last year, they had just the Aussies. This year, they play all the New Zealand teams. So if you're looking for a winner from a South African perspective, do not look at those three teams. I'm sorry, Bulls fans. I'm sorry, Stormers fans. Uh, I'm actually doing this show in a Stormers jacket right now, so I'm one of those people. Uh, sorry, Cheetahs, Curry Cup champions fans, but it's just not going to work. You can't play the New Zealand teams week in, week out, uh, the travel schedule, all that kind of stuff. It's not going to happen. So the Bulls, give a snapshot of them. If they can get this team to stay together for two or three years, I reckon we've got some serious title contenders here. That back line is looking shit hot. Led by Andre Pollard, it is a star-studded side. It really is. They've got Lutte Yagenau to strengthen the lock stocks, of which they've already got four amazing locks. They're always going to have a pretty decent tight five. They've got a loose trio that's on the up and up. Um, sure, there's always a problem with with the, the player drain that's happened with the Bulls over the last three, four years. I haven't been able to kind of... Um, recoup the seniority or the experience but this team is not going to win this year it's definitely going to surprise a few teams here and there if they can stay fit and they can stay together and they don't lose too many other players um this bull team can be great in a few years time 2017 is not that year uh you look at the cheetahs carry cup champions they now look like they know how to tackle uh they look like they've got a defensive system in there they've got um, some pretty decent players in that back line as we saw in the carry cup they've got a good forward pack they are a good side okay again they could really surprise a few teams definitely at home but they're not going to win they're not going to be probably not even be playoff contenders not even close uh the stormers again you got players like Ibn Elizabeth and Damien Allender saying well, we could make lots of money, but we're actually not going to take um, a playing off-season. We're going to take an actual off-season. So these guys are raring to go because they want to do something with the Stormers this year. It's really great. Robbie Fleck, second season in charge. You know he'll be better. You know that team's going to be better. I know they've just lost uh, Lionel Zass for the whole season with a broken leg. They, uh, Sean de Jong is out for a few weeks as well. I think four to six right off the bat. So it's still a good side. There's a lot of youth in there. There's a lot of experience still there. They're about... Um, but it's not going to be a year where they're going to get the title. Again, it's just one of those things. You've got to settle in. You've got to get your players together, and it's not going to happen for them. So to look at the two teams from a South African perspective who are going to offer something, well, it's pretty clear to see it's the Lions and it's the Sharks. Now, the Sharks last year played against all the New Zealand teams. They went all over the world. It was difficult for them. It was They had some courageous performances. They were injury-ravaged. Um, Lambie was out for so long. Marcel Kutsia dropped very early in the season. They yeah, they just didn't have a lot going for them. But they managed to limp their way into the playoffs. They got absolutely hammered by eventual winners, the Hurricanes. But this year, new coach, right? Which helps because he's basically the dad of about three or four of the players. So Robert Dupree, as you know, back in the day, was that legendary scrum off. He used to have a long pass and he was taller than most of the loose forwards. He is now their coach. Um, it's going to be a good team. I think there's, there's a lot of young talent here, which has got a lot to prove because the Sharks, you know, they've been a great side for quite a long time, but I uh, just haven't really kicked on. So I'm going to take extra time on the on the Lions and the Sharks purely because they're playing the Aussies, right? So they can get all the points and they can finish really high up in the overall log, which will give them a potential home playoff run to the finals. So let's look at the Sharks, right? They've got the best. They have the best. I'm saying the absolute best fixture list you can possibly think of. So they're starting off this weekend by playing the Reds, okay? So first matchup away to the Reds. Then they've got the Brumbies away. So, yeah, two tough games, sure, away from home playing against the Aussies, especially the Brumbies. There we go. Tough-ish start, right? Then they come home, and they've got the Waratahs at home, followed by the Kings at home, and then they play away to the Cheetahs and Lions. Again, their overseas stuff, pretty much done, huh? They're then at home to the Jaguars and the Rebels. They then go away to the Jaguars. So they have one overseas trip after that. So they go over to Argentina, which is always a bit tough, and uh, they don't have a bye either side of that. So that's going to be the tricky one, 29th of April. But they'll have definitely great momentum by that stage. And they will definitely be a team on the up and up. So that's their one away. Then they come home and they play the Force. So just think, you're going to have home games against the Rebels, the Force. Ah, oh, it's just beautiful, isn't it? So, oh man, now the screen won't load. Um, so the point is here, yeah, they have the best, the absolute best uh, when it comes to the fixture list. Okay. Um, 
yeah, then they go away to the Kings, away to the Sunwolves. There's another little overseas trip. And then they're going to be at home to the Stormers, at home to the Bulls, and at home to the Lions. So 15th of July, there we go. Their final, their final regulation play game, 15th of July. So basically the, there'll be, um, the June international break. So 30th of June, they come back. Bulls at home. Then they've got another bye. And then it's Lions at home. It is a great, great fixture list. It doesn't get much easier than that to this level. So go the Sharks to do something pretty special this year. In relation to other games. In relation to other seasons. The Lions, they're away to the Cheetahs first up this weekend. So it'll be Saturday at 5... Sorry, 3 plus 3. So that's the first match away. Then they're home to the Waratahs. Then they go away to the Jaguares in Buenos Aires. Then they're at home to the Reds. They're away to the Kings and at home to the Sharks. Then they've got a bye. Then they are away to the Stormers. Then they're at home versus the Jaguares. Then they're away to the Force, away to the Rebels, away to the Brumbies. So there's their Australasian tour. Then they come home and they've got the Bulls and they've got the Kings. So there's some points there. International break. Then they've got the Sun Bulls at home. And then they've got the Sharks at home. So they've got a slightly longer trip. But they've got the bonus of uh, not having to go to the Sun Wolves, whereas the Sharks will go to both the Jaguars and the Sun Wolves. So if you're looking for a safety perspective, who is going to do well? It's got to be those two teams. It really has to. They've got great squads. The Lions in particular, pretty much unchanged. A couple of players have left, but pretty much unchanged from 20, 2016 season where they went all the way to the final. So Sharks and Lions, if you're going to have an office pool, office punt on these kind of things, get stuck in there. But it does beg the question. These guys are going to play Aussie teams the whole way through, right? They're not going to play a single New Zealand team until they get to the quarterfinals where it's make or break. Yes, they will be at home, potentially, for those games if they can amass the points. But is it not going to be another case where if you haven't played the best throughout the tournament, you might lull yourself into false sense of security? You might be in a position where you haven't evolved as a team and you're just kind of getting by each week. So... The whole system is kind of flawed. It's going to be very interesting to see how these two better teams now deal with the fact that they're not going to have any New Zealand uh, confrontation. And this is why I think New Zealand teams will always win this because they obviously play their own New Zealand teams. So they are hardened. They play everyone essentially. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be the way it is until this format gets a massive rejig. That's your Super Rugby. Um, if you're looking for some more in-depth rugby, Super Rugby stuff, go on to the left-backs. Um, I don't have time to really bring up, uh, if you want to have a chat to the guys today, but the left-backs of Ciudad Zede, they're doing team-by-team um, previews, and they're all pretty good. So if you want something a bit more in-depth than me just shutting out for... I mean, obviously the Kings aren't... There's no point talking about them. They haven't got a chance. Uh, but for more in-depth, go on to left-backs of Zede. So... So um Dustin Johnson, I said at the beginning of the show, he is now the world's best golfer uh, as ranked, um, which is a good thing because outside of golf, I can't see him doing a hell of a lot. What would you be doing if you weren't playing on the PGA Tour? <laughs> oh, I've got no idea. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's actually lying there whatsoever. But here's a guy that back in 2014 has to take a break from the sport because of um, drugs. He failed drug tests, right? He failed one for marijuana in 2009, I think it was. And then 2012 and 2014, he failed drug tests for use of cocaine. Uh, there was extramarital affairs and that he was extramaritaling other women who were married. Um, he was cheating on his fiance. Um, there were some pretty messy situations where some pretty senior golf journalists were saying how this guy's breaking marriages up. He's doing drugs. He's an absolute hazard to the tour. Uh, hugely talented. This guy won over the weekend. Okay. So in the 10 years he's been on tour, he's won every single year of those 10 years. Only Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods have done a similar thing. So this is the real deal. He won his first major last year. He finally made the breakthrough because, let's face it, he would get into contention. He would just miss little putts here and there. He would just fall off. So major champion. He is winning all the time. He seems to got all these demons and partying out of the way. Uh, living in Myrtle Beach, I don't think helped that. Uh, and now he's the world number one. He's the 20th world number one since the ranking started in 1986. And this guy can, I think, just keep going on the up and up. But when you consider that, you consider Roy McIlroy coming back, you consider Jordan Spieth's never going to go away. Um, cheap as there's some great golf, there's some amazing talent in this game. Jason Day's going to come back, no doubt about that. I can't see a South African interest uh, really going much further right now. Um, but yeah, we've got four or five amazing golfers that are going to make this number one spot very interesting going forward from here on in. And Dustin Johnson, well, cheap as what he does off the tee, what he possesses, and what he now believes in. This guy is going to go from strength to strength. 
that's pretty much it for this week. We've covered so much. And uh, if you go into the balance.co.za to catch up with everything else, you'll find all the other articles and uh, clips that I've mentioned. So this week, if you are in Johannesburg, get on down to Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Course in the Linksfield area. So from Thursday, it will be the Joburg Open. It's not the biggest of the European Tours uh, events, um, player-wise, but there's still some great talent on, on show there. Um, so go on down. It's always great to see the professionals uh, doing their thing up close and personal. And the crowds will be pretty manageable, so you can follow the, the big marquee groups Um you know, if you go during the practice days or you go earlier on in the weekend, like Thursday or Friday, you can pretty much watch whoever you like. And it's such a beautiful golf course. Johannesburg East uh, and West are both being used. Royal Johannesburg East and West. And then the final two rounds will take place on uh, the East course, which is... In, in my opinion, uh, it is the greatest course in Johannesburg. All things considered, it is so beautifully well established. Great, amazing trees. It's a real player spectacle. So that's um, that's it for the week. Uh, the weekend wrap up. Uh, if you're looking forward to the week of sport ahead, there's Champions League's back in action on Tuesday. You'll see Man City versus Monaco by Leverkusen versus Atletico. Uh, PSL action: Platinum Stars versus Sundowns. So Sundowns, who won that CAF uh, Super Cup over the weekend, I forgot to mention that they beat TPM Mazembe uh, 1-0. So they really are kings of Africa. Uh, Wednesday night, you can see Champions League: Seville versus Leicester, the last thing Leicester's in, and Porto versus Juventus. Vitz will take on Barocca. And Super Sport now will take on Marisburg United in the PSL. Wednesday, also see the next uh, ODI between New Zealand and SA. And then Thursday, as I mentioned, Joburg Open is going to start. Honda Classic on the USPJ Tour and the start of Super Rugby. Playing out this week with uh, a massive sensation in the world of pool. Yep, it is a sport. And uh, it is a sport with possibly the guy who delivers the best ever post-match interview. It is Nyaki Oi. And uh, this is playing out this week. Go on to the bounce of today and follow me on Twitter at follow the bounce. So I didn't get your messages. I got a bit rattled off. But yeah, enjoy the start of Super Rugby and we'll catch you back next week. We thought you'd won it a couple of racks before you did win it. Mm. My name is Naoki Oi. Today, very lucky. Congratulations, me! Yay! English, a little, no problem, only so. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so you had that shot to win it, and then you kind of recreated it for the crowd afterwards. When that shot didn't go in, did you think, I might have blown it here? Ah, uh, I have a pen. I have an apple. Oh, I apple pen. So, kanji. I've not ever done an interview quite like this before, Naoki. Um, do you think you can win this tournament? Mm. Mm. Mm, no problem. <laughs> well, congratulations, you're through. Well-